podcast world, what's up? Chad Belding, This Life Ain't For Everybody. Excited as heck about this episode. I hope you all read the description or fired up too because this man's last episode is honestly and truly one of my favorites and we get so many remarks and comments about Mr. Brent Cobb's first episode and appearance here at The Foul Life. We might not get down in the weeds as much as we did last time, but we're quarantined and we want to make sure that we're keeping the music and the message at the forefront. And today's episode is brought to you by our friends at the one and only, the most iconic brand of whiskey, sour mash, whatever you want to call it, Jack Daniels out of the state of Tennessee, pretty close to where Brent's recorded some of his albums in the town of Nashville. But Lynchburg, Tennessee, the home of Jack Daniels, you can't get any more America than that. Enjoy it responsibly. Enjoy it with your friends. Enjoy it while you're sitting at your house. This might be one of the few times in the world that I drink alone. I don't do it a lot. And uh, Brent Cobb, come in right now. How are you, brother? Hey, man. I'm hanging in there, just uh, sitting on the side of a dirt road. Does it sound funny? Does Do you have a lot of friends that drink alone, you think? Do you ever drink alone? Last time we touched on loneliness and that it's okay to be alone, but... I honestly don't really do it all. I'm more of a social guy if I have a cold beer or a cocktail or an adult beverage. But this quarantine, I have found it like a little bit more accepting of myself if I do have a little bit of a, an adult beverage at night when I'm sitting there by myself. I never drank alone uh, coming up. Uh, my wife, my now wife always drank alone and would listen to music. And so it would be her and whatever record she was listening to with some some Bacardi or something, you know, and uh, and and now I guess we started dating a long time ago. But when I moved to Nashville, I had one year there where I lived right by myself and I would listen to records and drink alone. And bourbon is especially good when you when you are when you do choose to drink alone. Now. I love Jack Daniels, and I always have. I don't know why I always took a liking to it for the taste. Are you a fan of Jack Daniels? Uh, yeah, I mean, if I'm getting, if I'm trying to get somewhere quick, <laughs> if, if, uh, if I, I don't, I don't just sip Jack Daniels. My dad, he would, he would sip a little Jack Daniels, uh, or Jim Beam, uh, Jim, you know, Jim with a, with like a splash of apple juice and, and a little, you know, that kind of thing. But he would drink Jack Daniels on the rocks a little bit with a little splash of Coke. But uh, but I never was a big Jack fan. But my uncles are that way, and, and they get kind of rowdy when they drink Jack Daniels. Maybe that's why I don't drink it a whole lot. Yeah, I've heard that before. You know, there's a lot of country songs written about Jack, and I think that – I don't know. I just think of it as just an American brand. You know, you think of guys totally. like – Absolutely. I don't think you can get any more American. But the other day I talked to you – and you were catching brim. Is this oh, yeah. is, is is this a Southern deal? Explain explain to the listening audience what a brim is. Well, you know, it's funny you asked that today because I, I started thinking about that because a lot of people posted because I posted a little story of me and my daughter catching brim that day, and uh, a lot of people were like, "Man, nice bluegill, nice bluegill. Oh boy, that's a great bluegill." which is what it is. That's all it is. But, you know, you got red belly, we call them brim, red belly brim, yellow belly brim. And, uh, but I guess they're all kind of, they don't all have blue gills, but, but it's the same fish. We yeah. just, I always call it brim. And out here West, you know, we catch, we have bluegill water and growing up, and this is the God's honest truth. Growing up, 
we never ate them. We didn't, we truly had never even thought about, never even thought about keeping one. And then when I started hanging around the people that ended up introducing you to me as friends, the Leith Loftons and, uh, and the, you know, the Bobby Johnsons, it wasn't until I, it wasn't in start, it wasn't until I started to get go, get to visit the Southern United States, the South until I learned that people actually eat bluegill. Whoa, man. Yeah. Can you believe that? I can't believe that. Well, do you, so do you eat bass? No, that, that out. That's, I don't eat bass either. I didn't know maybe that was a thing. Another thing that was swapped. You know, where they, you know where they eat them in the South is Louisiana. They eat bass in Louisiana. That's right. They do. That's right. You know, Drew Keith, yeah. our buddy at Honey Break, Drew Keith, who you met, he he sent me a picture of a bass he caught the other night, and I think Napoleon Dynamite, the movie, I actually had a line in it about eating a bass or enjoy your bass or something like that. But no, nah, man, I've always sir. looked. At, I've always looked at the fish that I like to eat in North America. My number one go to is the walleye, which. If you're in Minnesota, yeah, if you're in Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, it's my number one go-to freshwater fish. Number two is the crappie. Oh come on, man! Yeah, crappie. Yeah, which we say, we say crappie. Yeah. I was trying to crappie the day that we started catching all them brim because they're they're biting like hell right now. And Are they? Uh, oh man! And uh, that's actually what we went to go do. I, you know, I got some jigs and and. Uh, I had a, a brim hit the jig and it wasn't crappy, man. I, I, I've caught, I don't know, probably like 35 in three days. And, uh, which well, I'm only fishing for 45 minutes a day. I just go out there and catch a little bit. And, but, uh, boy, yeah, crappies get eaten, man. Have that you ever heard a real, real, have you ever heard of real foot Lake in Tennessee? Uh-uh. Look that lake up. That's a real popular destination for several Arkansas, West Tennessee, Mississippi Delta fishermen. They, they're, they're, and I, I, they're probably gonna. I'll probably get a death threat for letting that out of the bag. But there, that's a, that's that could be a hotbed. So give me when you catch a brim or a bluegill or or a crappie crappie, is your recipe and presentation in the kitchen the same for both? Uh, of those? Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, I would do them the same way. I'd cut the head off and I'd, I'd use cornmeal, basic cornmeal with some, with some slappy mama probably, or, you know, we talked about this the other day or any kind of Cajun rubs, a little salt and pepper and, uh, throw them in a hot pan of grease, black iron skillet. I would do them the same way. And is this something that growing up in Georgia, the, where you grow, grew up, we're, we're, we talked about your family on the last podcast as far as, you know, the, some of the ways you were raised. Were you raised on wild fish and eating that kind of diet? Absolutely. Yeah, that that was well, that was what was craziest. We grew up. There's this creek called the Slaughter Creek that was on the backside of my granddaddy's property where my dad grew up and where he grew up, where my granddaddy grew up. And every weekend my dad played music as we talked about. And so a lot of times we'd stay over with my grandparents on the weekends and every morning, Friday, Friday, uh, evenings, we go set, uh, crawfish baskets up your funnel baskets to catch crawfish all weekend. We wouldn't pull it back up until Sunday morning. And, uh, but then Sunday and Saturday and Sunday we'd go and we'd catch as many brim as we could out of the slaughter Creek. And with the moment we'd get them, we'd take them up and clean them right up and put them in a frying pan. My grandma would fry them right there. And uh, so, man, and I hadn't had them like that fresh brim, not out of a pond, but out of a – because, see, we live on the end of this little slough off of the Flint River off the Lake Blackshear. And so when when it rains, all these 
fish out of other people's ponds and creeks. They all get, they all get in my little slough down here. And so we, we live off this little spillway. You know the old saying, it's like catching fish in a barrel? I got a barrel. And so the other day, when I caught all these, I, when I fried them up and we ate them, it was like, I mean, it, I was like I was a kid again, man. I hadn't had them since, like that, since I was a kid, probably. Yeah, that, that style of cooking and, and to think about that flaky white fish, you know, is, I don't know if there's a better. And, and, and right out of the fresh water. Yeah. yeah, I just don't think there's a better diet or a better way to eat as far as taste goes. It's just in the way that you feel when you're getting ready to eat that. You know what I mean? It's just like that whole process of of taking it and cleaning it and butchering it and then getting it, you know, rubbed down and in the grease. I just I I. I I was telling you the other day about my friends in Florida that had sent me some of the fish and they literally Brent, they sent me a video of those tuna. And then the next day they overnight them. And the next day I am flash frying in a cast iron skillet on a Traeger grill at 500 degrees. I'm, I'm flash frying that tuna just to sear it, you know, flash searing it. And it just come out of the Atlantic ocean in Florida. It just blows my mind. It's the coolest lifestyle ever, man. It's just, it's the neatest. Speaking of, Hey, did I ask you about, do, do you know about smoking brim or fish or crappie or any, have you ever smoked any crappie on your, on a Traeger or on any, any smoking device? I've never, I've never smoked those species, but I've done several different recipes right. on a cold smoke. I haven't either. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try it because my wife, I started catching these brim and she, she goes, well, we can't, I can't eat just fried brim every day. Yeah. <laughs> so we got to figure out a different recipe for them. anybody listening. If you got a good smoked brim recipe, I'll, I'll look into that. And I'm also going to look into keep this in mind. And I don't know how, how savvy your old lady is in the kitchen, but ask her if she, do you have any experience with ceviche at all? The, the, the Mexican dish ceviche, when you, you, you use lime juice to marinate the fish in and the, in the, mm. uh, the acidity of the lime juice cooks it. Enough. Cooks it the outside. Yeah. yeah so, I've heard yeah, it. So they, they do it with several different white fish. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wondering if you could do that with, with crappie or brim or bluegill. I bet you could. Bet you could. I bet you that could be. Hey, I got to thinking the other day, you know, our, our last conversation, not our last one physically or anything, but our last podcast conversation, you had made mention. I had talked to you about touring, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what brought this to mind is, is, and I know that a lot of artists have had to do the same thing. But when I saw that that um, concert for Kentucky that Stapleton was going to do this year um, uh-huh. and he can't any he, and he was really bummed out the other day when they finally did can't uh, postpone it. You had made comment. I said, "What do you? What's your favorite thing about touring?" And then you came back real quick and you said, "Going home, coming home." Now that it's gone, now that it, you can't do it with this quarantine and what it's doing, does it make you miss it at all? I know that you're fine at being home and being with your family, and I get that. But is there a sense in Brent Cobb that you you want to get out and see the fans and sing the songs and get back on stage? Uh yeah, but I I mean mainly just for my band and mainly just to grow the music. I don't know. I like being out there too. I've, I've had a blast being home. It's been really nice being home. And, uh, but you know, it is strange though this year, you know, I had planned for a, to have a very light touring year anyway. It's kind of crazy that all this happened the way that it did. Uh, but, uh, I don't know, man. I don't know that I miss it really. 
I do. I'm going to get back out. I enjoy playing while I'm doing it, but I don't know that I miss it when I'm not. But you miss being with the boys in the band though, for sure. I miss, yeah, I miss um, them. I miss, I, I love our camaraderie and I love how loyal they are to something that isn't, you know, they're a part of something. I think they think that they should, I hope they feel that way. And, uh, I do miss, I miss that part of it. I miss them, us all seeing something grow because we are seeing it grow, man. Last year was crazy. Jerry, my drummer, he just shared a video from us playing at, uh, uh, the, uh, theater in, in Athens from last year. And it was sold out crowd. And it, it was, it made me miss it a little bit today. <laughs> Just seeing all those people, man. Not that, not that that matters, but is that one of the larger crowds you've played in front of, not counting the Stapleton tour? Yeah, of my own. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. How, what is it yeah, holding at? What's capacity? What, what, I can't remember. Maybe it's like, maybe it's like 1,500 or wow, something like cool that. how cool is that? Hearing your songs, how awesome. Don't quote me on that. It might be a little smaller than that. Or a little bit. It's awesome. Give or take. Man, dude, it's awesome. Go look at Jerry Pentecost's video. You'll see. I mean, it's a shit ton of people. On Facebook? It's on Instagram. Can you, can you text it to me? Yeah, I'll send it to you. Hey, um, what was the first thing that went through your head? These are just off-the-wall questions and because I'm relating them to the way that I felt in the last 15 days, 10 days. What was the first thing that went across your mind or across your head, uh, in your head, when you heard Joe Diffie passed? The first thing that, that I that I thought of was, man, I mean, you don't expect dude to go. I mean, he's like my dad or something. You know what I mean? You just don't. He, he wasn't in the best shape in the world, but he also, he wasn't in the worst shape either. He's just, you know, just a, a good old country dude doing his thing. You don't expect a guy like that to go. You know what I mean? I guess is what I'm saying. And not even in a musical, from a musical standpoint, just from a, just a, Seemed like he ought to lasted a little while longer. Uh, me and the kids, we planted a garden the other day, and we just sat out and listened to all those old Joe Diffie songs, man. There's so many of them that I had forgotten about. Man, was he strong or what? Oh, my God, man. We, hey, we got some people that may pass me in a second. There, there's some people riding around on their side-by-sides. That's all right. That's country. Uh, and don't bother me. That that uh, the, one, I, the the song that he did uh, the lyrics and the and the creativity of Third Rock from the Sun. Oh come on, man! I love I love the idea of that song, man. Yeah, welcome to the Earth, Third Rock from the Sun. Yeah, that, dude. man. And uh, hey, growing up, here's another thing about living where I live, Brent Cobb. Growing up, I would listen to that song. I would wear Joe Diffie out in the '90s, right? I never knew what a uh, I never knew what a Shoney's parking lot was until I went to the South. Yeah. Uh, Shoney's never heard Shoney's, of yeah, man. That you just uh, don't you just don't see him. You see him like St. Louis and then to the southeast, but at the Shoney's parking lot. Yeah, man. When I heard that, I was, I, was, I, had, I had just seen I had just seen him last year at, at uh the Grizzly Rose in Denver. Yeah. Wow, man. It sucked. That's 61 crazy. years old. What was the first thing that crossed Brent Cobb's mind when you heard of John John Prime being in the condition he was in the in the hospital? Cause you got to be a big John Prine fan, right? Man, all right. Well, let me answer the first question first. Is uh, you know, I hope that he pulls through. Was my first thought. My honest 
thought because he's, you know, he's had lung cancer, lung issues and, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, the second thing I thought was, man, I am glad that he finally got his due after all those years of him being around and nobody giving him any sort of uh, notoriety for any of his work. He finally got it, you know, the last few years. And so I thought, man, it's really cool. If he does go, I hope he doesn't. It's cool that he was able to see his work be appreciated. Um, this brings me to my next thought. Me and my wife were talking about this. You know how nowadays, like everybody, every artist I know is like, oh, John Prine, man. Wow, we listened to John Prine my whole life. My granddaddy used to play John Prine. That's bullshit, man. If your granddaddy played John Prine for you, John Prine would have been a much bigger star than before he was almost dead. Makes total sense. Now, you know what I'm saying? People didn't listen to John. I mean, like a lot of people did. I'm not saying a lot of people did, didn't, but not as many people as act like they they had, you know, like he's had a significant, and they, he may have now, but not their whole life. When did you discover him? I still haven't. I, I, I know John Prine's music, but I'm not, I didn't grow up listening to John Prine, and I know how great he is. But I'm still discovering John Bryan right now. I discovered him from a friend named Dave Stanley in probably 2008, 12 years ago. He had come and played a little theater in, in our hometown here in Nevada. And and Dave had already told me that he had written the Bonnie Raitt song for Angel from Montgomery. And I love that song. So when you say he didn't get the respect that he did, did he as a songwriter ever? And you're talking about as an artist or did, was he ever even considered a great songwriter? I think he was always in the industry considered a massively considered a great songwriter. I guess I mean, I don't know what I mean. I guess I mean that in a, a listener as an artist, probably that, that a lot of people just didn't know about him, you know, and, and as a songwriter, as great of a songwriter as he is, it'd be awesome if way more people knew, you know what my introduction to John Prine was. You're not going to believe this story in 20, 10 or 11 or 12 I wrote with I had a co-write with Casey Musgraves it's the only time we've ever written together only time we've ever hung out together uh, except for one time when I interrupted she and Kenny Chesney having a conversation at a BMI party I felt I still feel bad about that but uh Casey and I were were writing and in the middle of this write she goes you remind me of a young John Pride and uh she and she meant just the way I looked, and uh, I I didn't even know who he was. I feel ashamed to say that now. I think and, what you're uh, saying. I think what you're saying rings true, Brent. Because now that I have discovered him, I've done some research, or not really research, but you know, I just I I, I find myself looking into more things John Prine related. And you, see, if you look at it, you'll find. You know, the, the country shows hosted by Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, you'll see you'll see writer rounds of John Prine with Jerry Reed and Willie Nelson. And those are all guys that I've heard of. 
you know, back back in the 70s and 80s, you can find footage of John Prine with his big mustache and his big long hair before he was looks like he does now. And he was he was in the mix with the greats, the Merles and the Willies and the Waylands and, and the Jerry Reeds. And I never heard of him, but I heard of all of those guys growing up in the in the 80s. You know, my dad was rocking them all the time. But my dad never played a John Prine record when I was growing up in the 80s. Here's what my thing. I, I just it's hard for me to believe in the South that everybody's grandpa was listening to John Prime. Just because of where he was where his music originated from? I don't know. I just think that I just think a lot of the things that he was talking about with, with people's grandpas, I don't think them that old South type grandpa was listening to a lot of John Prine lyrics. Yeah, I've never <laughs> looked at it that I've never looked at it that way. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. But I don't know. Do you think that Angel from Montgomery is a, is a clever, well-written song? Oh, man. Yeah, dude. I'm a, I'm a, I don't want to say a huge fan because I, I don't know all of the stuff like I ought to know as a songwriter, but I am a huge, I know how wonderful he is, man. That, uh, uh, bruised orange. Holy shit, man. Yeah. That whole record, that album is the. I, I did this same thing with Guy Clark. Everybody, Channing Wilson, uh, everybody would be like, you know, they, they'd be talking to me like I knew about a a uh, a Guy Clark song, you know, and, I, and I'd have to be like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. I, I hate to say it. I don't know what Guy Clark song you're talking about. And they go, man, you don't listen to Guy Clark. And I'd feel ashamed as a songwriter and as a human being. And, uh, but I just never, it isn't that I didn't, didn't like it. It was just that I didn't have, there wasn't that one thing that drew me in like crazy, you know? And, uh, and finally I heard that Texas cooking album and it changed my life. And, it's called, uh, it's somebody, called Texas cooking, Texas cooking. I'm going to put that in my by, phone. By, by Guy Clark. That is the Guy Clark album. And, uh, it's the one that drew me in. It's the one that I'm a, now I'm way down the rabbit hole and I'm just, I just haven't had that moment and I know it's coming and it's me. It's not John's fault. It's my fault, obviously. Hey, some of the, some of the, the most touched I get listening to music is when Susan Tedeschi sings Angel from Montgomery. Her deliver, her delivery of that song is on a different level, man. I love that band. Hey, I'm I'm going down a rabbit hole of some artists here because I've been I just been listening to that that late '80s, early '90s, that Joe Diffier pretty much right. Another artist that you've had some dealings with here in the past. I want you to touch on me on what makes Travis Tritt. What made him what he was in the '80s and early '90s, and what has given him his hold or his longevity because he literally like sells out every concert solo or band that he puts on the map right now. And I hear rumblings that he, that he plays like 150 dates a year or something. Man, I just had the pleasure of writing with him as I'm sure, you know, Ben Ratliff hooked all that up and, uh, man, I just got to tell the whole story and I'll answer the question with the whole story. So, I was a huge Travis Tritt fan all my life as a kid, everything. He and my dad, musically and and uh, I told him this too, and personally, 
their their lives paralleled. He was an appliance repair man. My dad was owned his appliance his own rep- appliance repair business. You know, all my life, uh, played rock and roll country. That's what Travis did. Humongous Elvis fans, both of them, like huge Elvis fans. My dad is one of the best human beings I've ever met in my life. I'm so proud to have him as my daddy. Travis Tritt is one of the best human beings I've ever known in my life. And he can sing his natural ass off. And he's a song guy, man. He's a writer. Do you know that he wrote, like he wrote uh, Drift Off to Dream. And he, he by himself, I think, I, I you, Wikipedia that. But he, I know he's definitely a co-writer if he didn't write it by himself. But he wrote a bunch of those early songs, man. He was telling me a story about having a briefcase that he would take to every publisher in Nashville. And he had like he, wrote, he had like four of those big ones, like Country Club, Drift Off to Dream, um, uh, Oh, uh, Anymore, a bunch of them that he had in this briefcase. And like everybody was, you know, was like, no, oh, those will never do anything. And of course, he he showed them, but I think it's a it's a mixture of all those things. He's such a real dude. He never left Georgia. He never lived in Nashville. He's always lived in Georgia. Uh, I think he had that about him. He just stayed. And the reason he said that he didn't leave Georgia is because he wanted to be around the people that he was writing about. And when people would tell him like driving your country isn't going to do anything, he'd go well. I, I mean, I'm playing to these people, my listeners, every night, and I live around them every day, and I know this is what they want to hear. And uh, and so they put it out anyway. And uh, I think that's why. That's why he's had the longevity, because he is the working man. He's the, he's a man of the people, man. He's an artist of the people, and he's a fucking good dude. Excuse my language, anybody listening, but he's a good dude. Um. The song that he wrote, by the way, that your answer to your question, he wrote it with a guy named Stephen Harris. And okay. I'm wondering if that's the same Stephen Harris that was the guitar, the rock and roll guitar player for Mr. Mister. <laughs> just saying, I'm just wondering if that's the same, if they wrote together because you said Travis was a rock and roll guy. I wonder if he crossed paths with Mr. Mister because oh, their man. guitar player's name is Steve Harris and he's a big time duck hunter. So no that's, kidding. that's how I know all that. Yeah, he owns some really good duck properties all over the Midwest. Hey, you haven't had Travis on on your show yet, have you? No, I listen to this, and I don't mean this like for you to call him and tell him this is the guy. This is for real. He comes here once a year to twice a year. We just had tickets to see him open for Skinnerd, um, but they canceled that because of what's going on at the end of March. I am I am so into. I've always been into his music ever since I started listening to it. Country Club is the song that sold me because I just I just my my dad would rock that song, Brent, and I would just be like, "This is my life right here, man. This is this is what my life is built around is this song right here." And, yes, sir. And I have been the biggest Travis Tritt fan. Um, the homage that he pay, play pays to guys like Waylon on stage and he does his cuts the homage that he pays the Charlie Daniels um I I've seen him do so many things through the kindness of his heart just so passionate and compassionate about people that he you just can't take him but a good dude so I've asked people in my in my circle like I don't care if I ever get to to hang with him or hunt with him or fish with him. I would just like to shake the man's hand and tell him thanks for what he did for music. And because I literally could listen to his songs all day and just wear them out. 
Dude, he is. We talked. We spent three days together, and we wrote six songs in three days. And he, uh, that was what I kept telling him. It, I, it, it means so much to me because me and Adam Hood went out there. I went there one day, and then me and Adam were there a second day. <clears throat> Excuse me, I was there two days. Adam was there a third day, and uh, when Adam was there, we were just talking about man. It gives us so much hope to see somebody like him who's lasted as long as he has uh, that had always given, paid homage to the people that came before him the way he did, the way we try to do. And it's, and it seemed like when me and Adam were saying, it seemed like we came up in the wrong era because that was what we try to do. Just be normal, regular old dudes that play music for normal, regular old people and, and care about what, gave us the path to even walk down and that's what he's always that. done that's exactly what i would tell that man and when when joe passed the video that travis the first first he put a, a really heartfelt message out and then he shared a video of joe diffie travis tritt and Waylon on stage at the opry i think it was with steve warner as well i, I think it there was one other guy up there that was singing with joe and I let, and I wa- I wore that out for a day i just kept going back to it and watching and if you pay attention to it the camera is coming over is is out front left of Joe, so it's off his right shoulder looking at him, and and then it's Waylon on his left, and then on Waylon's left is Travis, and Travis does not take his eyes off of Joe Diffie while he's singing, and the whole thing I got out of it was the appreciation that Tritt had for the vocal for the vocal range and the voice that Joe Diffie had, and that he could literally sing the phone book as a country song, you know, and tear a crowd to pieces, and and that's what just the expression on Travis's face that I get out of that video yeah i agree he's just a he's just a he's just a good he's just a man he's one of my favorite man i could listen to he that just I, really he just he just really cares man he, he really genuinely cares yeah and the way that he puts his the way that he puts his chin on his guitar and leans himself over it when he's on stage and he just like you can see his eyes on the big screen at whatever he's playing and he's just like so thankful of the audience and the crowd right He's just, he's so thankful for these people that will still come out and listen to him sing. And that's crazy to me. That's crazy. So you mentioned another artist just now, and, and I know that you're friends and there's, there's always bias when you're buddies with somebody, but you also are a man of no bullshit or no nonsense. What makes Adam Hood special as first a songwriter and second a de- deliverer of songs? Man, I mean... As a songwriter, so Hood and I, you know, I was a fan before we were friends. And uh, and it just so happened that he was one of my very first co-writers in Nashville when I got my publishing deal in 09 with Carnival. He was there. He had been writing there for a couple of years before I got there. And uh, I walked in. I, knew, I already knew who he was, you know. And uh, as a songwriter, it's kind of the same thing with Travis. <clears throat> He's just a regular dude writing them regular songs about regular people. And he makes them, he doesn't make him, he doesn't have to make them interesting because he already understands that the common thing that he's writing about is interesting already in itself. He doesn't have to upplay it or downplay it. And he, and that's the way he writes. And it's, it's just appealing to me. That's the way all of my heroes have always done. And, um, as a human being, it's the same way. He's he's also one of them dudes, man. I mean, he's 
he's just a regular dude. He's never left Alabama. <laughs> he's always lived in Opelika, Alabama, and he's he cares about where he's from, but he's he all you know, I don't know. He's just my favorite kind of people. I like uh worldly good old people, you know. When you when he put out that post the other day about his one year sobriety, what kind of did you did you message him? Did you talk to him? Have you had to had conversations with him to to help him through this? Has it is it a struggle for somebody like him to to make that announcement or at least to get to that one year point? Because when I read it, I was like, man, that that that's a big thing for Adam to come in and say that to people. You know that 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 he's one year clean today. Did it make you feel a certain way at all, or or did you call him when you read that? I'm a bad friend. Every time we get together, I I, I try. I watch one beer ain't gonna hurt nothing. <laughs> so, uh, but he's man, you know, me and Lane, my wife, we saw the same post that you're talking about, and we're we're friends with he and his wife, and it's really man. We talk about um, go getterhood, which is what he's been for this this year he's like he ain't screwing up and he, and I, I think the one the what is really cool about it is that and i don't know because i'm not him and i don't want to speak out of turn but if he didn't know that he could do it without drinking i'm glad that he knows that he can because it ain't drinking that makes adam who he is it's him he's just a fucking cool dude and i and if and if we all knew that i knew that anyway but if if it took him be if it takes him being sober to know that about himself, then that's awesome. So, yeah, yeah. I, I agree, and I often ask myself, and it's not it, it's a conversation in a whole other rabbit hole. But I often ask myself, with going back to the comment that you've made initially when I when I mentioned that post, I and it might sound ignorant, and I'm not here to argue it. I'm just here to state that I don't know if I would want to live your lifestyle or his lifestyle or anybody that does that write song and road travels and, 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 and sings in front of a crowd without having a cold beer. So I can, I can't imagine how difficult it is not to. My deal isn't even what we do for a living. It's I'm, mean, we may have to hit on this in the last one we did. I, I enjoy living sober life i enjoy just life i just really enjoy it i'm just thankful every moment that i even get to experience what we call life now with that said having a beer or few <laughs> makes that experience that much more better i'm not i don't drink I, but now not all drinkers drink the same they don't drink for the same reasons i don't drink because i'm trying to make life better or I don't drink because I'm down. I, I don't drink because whatever. I drink because I'm already having a good time. I want to have a better time, you know? Yeah, I, that's what I'm saying. It just I, I, I'm one of those guys that says that it would be difficult not to enjoy that part of life. But, I, I you know, kudos to him. Um, have you had a chance to listen to – have you had a chance to listen to our boy Lee's album? Uh, no, damn it. I have not dove into it. I feel like a turd. Have no, you, I haven't. I haven't yet. You're gonna like it. I need you to text. I, I need you to text me after you listen to it and tell me your thoughts. I will. He's got that song on there, "One Whiskey Away." I love that tune. I, I told you already. Leith is the he's he's the same way out of all these Travis, Adam Hood, 
lethal often. It's all the same shit. It's the same, the same reason why I like any any music that I like. Do you do you find yourself itching to? Uh, I know you got a new album that you did. We touched on it on the last podcast. You went down to Alabama or Georgia, right? You were in Georgia and you recorded it or no, Carolina. To, uh, Carolina, North Carolina. Yeah. How did it go? Are you happy with the results? It's not released yet, but you did because of what's going on. Talk to me about the song that you released two weeks ago. And then I want to get into this song because I've been trying to dissect it. And I have some questions on, on wordplay and lyrics and, and what makes Brett and Cobb write the words that he does. Um, so what, what, what happened? Like you, the, I know you got the album done. Do, are you proud of it? Uh, we touched on your cousin, I'm, Dave I'm, Cobb, and, and yeah. this is going to be your first one without Dave. So how did it go? I think it went great. It was a completely different experience. I'm in the studio, you know, Dave, I've worked with on one, two, three albums in my 15 year career. and. Dave is one of those kind of producers that he's very hands-on. So it's easy to kind of use him as a crutch on my weak points. It's easy for me to be like, ah, not be lazy, but be able to, to, I can just, I, he's just very hands-on. It's going to sound great with this album. I did it with a guy named Brad cook. And I was, my opinion was very much, a necessity in this session where normally it isn't not because Dave's an asshole. It's just the way he works. And, uh, so it was, it was, it was kind of hard in that regard for me to trust my own opinion on a lot of, a lot of things. And, uh, but man, it was a blast. It was, I, I, I took my band in. It's me, Jerry Pentecost on drums, Mike Harris on uh, electric guitar, <clears throat> we had a lot of fiddle and a lot of piano. We had Phil Cook, Brad's brother. He played uh, organ and piano on a lot of the songs. And we had Luke Bryan actually played piano on uh, – I had Luke play on one of the songs that we wrote together. It's called Good Times and Good Love. And so he, country. It's his, so country. It's him, him playing piano on it. It's so cool, man. But, uh, man, it, it was a – I love it. I, it's – it's um I wanted my vocals to be way out front. I just wanted it to be like when you listen to uh I don't know, I, I I'm gonna this I'm gonna screw up this analogy, but it's almost like I wanted it to be like when you listen to a Jerry Lee Lewis country album, where everything else is kind of buried in the mix and the vocal and the lyrics are out front. I wanted I wanted it to I want the songs to be the the stars of the show. And I couldn't be more happier with the way it turned out. Well, I've listened I've listened to it three times in and and I took a day off of each listen to because I've told you before that self-admittingly that, you know, Providence Canyon or Shine that I can't go I can't go to bed without hearing the album almost in their entirety each day. So this one is unbelievable. It's got it's got so many good songs. Obviously, we can't talk I'm, about. I'm so I'm so excited. I got sorry to interrupt. I'm so excited to hear your what because I we hadn't talked since you've heard that. And I album. don't know if we want to talk about the songs on the album on this because it's this is going to be released way before. No, no, we don't we don't have to talk about the songs. But I would like to just hear your overall, in general, what you think about the album. Overall, I think 
overall, I think it, if, if without you telling me what you just did, I, the first thing that I have written down on this piece of paper right here is that the lyrics are first and foremost on it and they stand out more so than any of your other songs or main, even, even more so than most country albums ever. Um, I think that if you took an album like that lonesome song and mixed it like this and, 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 and put the lyrics out front that it would have even been stronger than it was, even though the musicianship in that album is unbelievable and you're the musicianship in yours is strong, but the lyrics are the, the standalone first thing that stands out on the album. It's number one. And the lyrics are, and again, again, the lyrics are delivered in a way that make the, the hearer, the listener, the guy, the, the person tuning in, they hit you and then they, they, they get you and then they engage you to where you're like, I'm living through that song. So your, your mind tells you, well, I'm going to release this song called, you know, the first one that we're going to talk about is the only one that you've released. So we can talk about that. But what blows my mind about that song is the lyrics in it can be taken in se- it taken in several different ways. And that's what I think that is so cool about the way that you pin these songs is first off, that song was written how long ago, 10 years ago, 12 years ago. That was wrote in 2011. So, so nine years uh, ago, nine years ago, the song that we're refer- referring to is called the world is ending. There's a line in there that says it might be time to clean house. Now, there, this, this line right here has so many double meanings because during the quarantine, I've been cleaning the shit out of my house in places that I didn't even know existed in my house, right? That's one meaning. And I know you've probably been doing the same. I mean, I, I even went as far as taking all my pants out, giving a bunch yeah. of good, goodwill and folding them and yes, getting, them, getting them organized in jeans and khakis and all this stuff, right? Forced spring cleaning, yeah. But what is the, what does that line mean when you're pinning it? Is this because it could be taken in a lot more serious way of cleaning house? I I, I meant it as I don't know, man. I mean, the there are terrible people in this world. I don't know, you know. I don't I don't want the world to end, but if it's you know, who am I to, again, like, who am I to say when it's time or when it isn't time? And if it is time, not by my standards, but if it's time for the world to clean itself or for, you know, if you believe in God, if it's time for God to go through a spring cleaning, I'm not going to argue with him. And, you know, maybe it is time to clean the house. I don't know. Wow. When that, that, so that, so that line was delivered in the exact way that I take it. I, I knew it had nothing to do with actually cleaning your house, Brent Cobb. So you are saying that this is natural, so natural selection. I'm saying it could be, I don't know that. I've and, and, and you got to remember now when I, when I was writing that, this song, the like people weren't dying of a, of a pandemic virus that had taken over the whole world. I wrote it right before the Mayan calendar. Do you remember in 2012, the Mayan calendar was supposed to run out? Do you remember hearing all that hype and everybody was like, Oh, it's going to be the end of the world. Kind of like Y2K and all that shit. And so when I wrote this song, it was more me, me being, you know, kind of uh, mischievous a little bit. And, you know, 
it was like people weren't dying. <laughs> so in that line, in that, when I wrote it, it was about, oh yeah, well, hell, maybe it's time to clean house. But now with this shit really happening, it hit I don't hard. know, maybe it, it hit may, I mean, maybe it is time, maybe it isn't. I don't know. I'm not, it's not up to me. I don't know. Bill Burr, the I'm just an observer. Bill Burr, the comedian <laughs> from Boston, in one of his stand-up specials, he says, 85% of you got to go. <laughs> you got to go if you don't pass the test. <laughs> there's, a there's a line in here that I want you to clarify for me. I've listened to it a bunch, and I don't know if I'm getting it, but it's I'm going to sit back and I'm going to pick a little ditty. That's you with your guitar. You can't get cleansed. If I can't be cleansed. If I can't be cleansed, I got to stay pretty. Gritty. Gritty. Huh? G-R-I-T-T-Y. You got to stay gritty. Gritty. Because pretty's yeah. on another line, right? The world ain't looking uh -huh. too pretty. Yeah, that's right. So that's gritty. Yeah. If I can't get cleansed, I got to stay gritty. So this has yeah. nothing, this has to do with your soul then. Or does it? I don't know. I, but yeah, I think, I guess it does. I don't know. So are you, do you take this approach when you write songs, Brent, that it, it could mean this, it could mean that, whatever. It's just, you don't have a really a distinct t a definition of what well, that line means. I'll, well, I remember writing that line then and I didn't write it, man. It just, sometimes they just come out of the sky and it just writes itself. It's not a conscious decision. It's not a, a conscious direction. It just comes out. And that, that whole, that, this song, that whole, I'll tell you how I wrote this song, how it started. Um, it was that year that I was talking about earlier that I lived by myself in Nashville. It was the only year I've ever lived as a bachelor. And, uh, and I, I was sitting at the house and, uh, I had a little weed. I don't smoke a lot of weed anymore. And I didn't then, but I did when I was younger, but I had a little on the sidelines and I thought to myself, I'm going to, I'm going to smoke a little bit and I'm just going to pick up the guitar and see what happens. The problem is when I smoke any kind of weed nowadays, I, I have panic attacks. I can't help it. It's like I get the feeling of impending doom. I don't know why, but all of a sudden that started happening to me. And so I, I hit this little joint a couple of times and I hit that chord progression. Da -do -da -do -do, like you hear in the song. And this chord right here, I hit this change. Oh, I'm glad you're grabbing that because I was going to ask in you. In the song, this. I hit this. And when I hit that, I started crying, stoned at my apartment by myself. And I didn't even know why. And I got freaked the fuck out and put the guitar down. And I just went to bed. And, uh, and so I didn't write the song until I had that that but that's what fell out of the sky was that and then i didn't write it until i don't know a couple of days later and uh yeah i don't know sometimes songs just fall out of the sky why, and I don't why do you think you freaked out was it a mixture of, the, the, of being stoned and just you had anxiety or you, you if not if, if it felt like the devil was in the room man i don't want to get weird but it felt like i don't know it just felt like I was seeing something I shouldn't see or, or I, I just felt like I was, I don't know. What year did know. you, what year did you write shine? Shine on rainy day. Yeah. 
Uh, probably 2013. So four, so, so probably two years after this. Yeah. There's a line in here that says still pretending to pray. And that goes mm-hmm. right along with the theme of rain of shine of kind of, that's the way that I took it when I heard that song that some of us are still pretending to pray, meaning that we only call on God when we think we need him. Like all of a sudden the world might be ending with the coronavirus and now it's time to get on our knees. Now it's time to pray. And it's kind of yeah. the same theme, right? Of, of, of shine. Don't it make a I man start so. to wonder? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just, I think that that line, the lines in here are so strong, the lyric, but such a simple song and a simple delivery that hits hard that when you play it on these live remotes that you've been doing on revival or you, you or the one for the band, or when you just release the song, the comments that you're getting on this song are so vast, but it's, it's becoming people's favorite in a hurry. And it's like a really simple, simple song with really heavy lyrics out front that you make it sound like you just wrote them down, but they hit hard as hell. When you say stuff like some of us are pretending to, or we're still pretending to pray. Like that's you calling out a lot of the world, a lot of society that we're pretending to pray. And if obviously you have reasons for saying that, but that's a really, really heavy statement. Well, I think it's true though. I mean, even I, I do that, you know, I go through life and, and I go, you know, just say, say a prayer, whatever, you know, like you, you know, sometimes you just, you're not really praying. It's kind of like when you, when you, if you've played the same songs over and over again, on a show i don't get this way but you can i mean i have you know they call it going on autopilot and you you know you don't want to be on autopilot when you play a show to a uh a sold out crowd and i feel the same way about praying if we're gonna if we're gonna pray and we're gonna believe in in the god almighty creator of everything then we should we should mean it when we do it and not just say you know, now I lay me down to sleep and pray the Lord my soul to keep if I should die before I wake and pray the Lord my soul. Take out the God, we're going to Jesus never pray me. We ought to pray. Let's pray about it. You know, if we're really going to pray, we should pray. We shouldn't be on autopilot. So is a prayer, is a prayer a conversation with the Lord or is it always an ask or what is the right way to pray is what people are going to ask when you think that they're pretending? I don't, I don't call anybody out specifically for pretending to pray, but, um, I don't know. Yeah, I think you have to, you have to really, I personally have to talk. I have to just forget that I exist and, and really talk to the person, the, not even the, the, the creator that created me, you know, if, if we're talking, we're talking about the, if we believe in the creator of all things, I have to really forget that I even exist and just be thankful to experience it, you know? So do you ever say little prayers? Like when your daughter throws her worm in the pond for a brim? I pray for every little thing like that, but I do it meaningfully. Lord, please let this girl catch a fish right now. That would be so cool, you know? And cause he's in, if, if I believe in that, then he's in control, you know, it's not as I don't think it's weird to think that that he cares about little minor trivial things like that. 
if if he created all of it. You know, it's I kind of think about it. You have a kid. Think about your kid, and you helped create that kid. If you know everything, like any little thing that they want to talk to you about, it doesn't matter if it's huge or little or anything. You want to hear about it, and you want to you want to you know guide them one way or the other. If it's if it's something that doesn't mean anything, then you still listen though. You know, I think if God created us all, then it's got to be the same way, you know, but in, but in a way that I can't even fathom, you know. I get it completely. Are you at this time in your life and you made mention that you were, this is the only year you lived as a bachelor. It's 2011 living in 2009 or 11 living in Nashville. Uh, 11, 2011. There's a line in this song the world is ending song about you're thinking about women. Had you met your wife at this time or are you totally single living on your own or are you thinking about her? Did you, or is it another girl or what? At that time I was a bit of a asshole and I had, we had split up for a a little bit of a time. What's a little uh, bit of a time. I went on that Willie Nelson country throwdown tour. And, uh, during that same year, and uh, so I, bro- I broke up with her right before that tour. And then for the duration of that tour. So three, four months? Something like that. How'd you get her back? Did you get on your knees and tell you have been an asshole and that you were sorry? She's an awesome woman. That's how I got her back. I don't know how I did it. I don't remember. She loved- I don't remember the conversation. She's just badass. She loved you, huh? I guess <laughs> I'm thankful. Can we hear? Can we hear a little bit of the world is ending, please? Yeah, man. You want the whole thing or just a little bit? I want you to play as much as you will. I love the whole thing. All right. They say the world is ending. Everyone's busy defending their sins. I'm just sitting here picking out a ditty. If I can't be cleansed, I gotta stay with it. This old world ain't looking too pretty anyhow. Might be time to clean house. Shooting stars out my window. Down the barrel of a gun. Ricochet off the moonbeam. Look, there goes the sun. They say the world is ending today. Everyone's busy pretending to pray. I'm just sitting here 
thinking about women with my head in the clouds and the room keeps spinning. Green don't rise, the good Lord's willing to have bad big time to clean house. Shooting stars out my window. Down the barrel of a gun. Ricochet off a moonbeam who blew out the sun. Can't be cleansed, I gotta stay good. This old world ain't looking too pretty anyhow. Yeah, I'm just sitting here thinking about women with my head in the clouds and the wind keeps spinning. The creek don't rise, the good Lord's willing anyhow. Might be time to clean They say the world is ending. They say the world is ending. Again. When you're, I, I, I literally, the, the song hits so hard and it's just so simple for you to deliver it like that, but you're in a house alone the way that you felt when you dropped that chord progression, when you finally write the song, do you remember the way you felt when you were in the house alone that night and, and, and drop that chord progression when you actually go to write it? Yeah, that was the only way to, to write it was to make sure that, uh, felt like I was, I don't know. Yeah. I had to, I had to, conjure up that that same feeling you know were you down on were you down on your luck at this time and the reason i ask is why did you have a gun out in the house looking down the barrel of a gun and shooting stars was the gun meant for something else or did you what brought the gun into it i didn't have a gun out i don't know why that line came that was just again it just I don't know. I, I just can't figure out how the fuck you can write these songs, man. I don't get it. M- me fucking either. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't me a lot of the time. Most of the time, it's just, they just kind of fall out of the sky. I don't you know. said that last time. Magic words. Magic words. Did, was there any was there any discussion around this ideology that we're discussing right now of magic words and falling out of the sky when you were riding with Trit? Did does this come up at all when you guys talk? Oh, dude. Yeah, man. God, I wish I could play the song that we wrote. The the one we wrote a few of them that day or them couple days, but there's one that is so good and. uh you dude, you're gonna have a cut on it. From what I hear, he's coming out with an album. That's why he's writing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, first you're, album. You're gonna first have album a, in nine years. If they, I don't know if they went in there with all this going on. You're gonna have a cut on a Travis Tritt album, dude. I'm talking that I wrote that I wrote with Travis Tritt. That you wrote with Travis Tritt. That's strong. That is strong. It's pretty, 
it freaks me out, buddy. Um, but man, yeah, we got done writing this this one song, and he stuck his arm up, and he he named some old writer. I can't remember who he named, but he said, "Them right there, that's what whoever it was, that's what so and so would call the hit chills." The the hit chills. I wonder yeah. if he was referring to the guy that was on tour with Zach Brown a couple year or a year or two ago that was on several tours. He just come out. He was the guy that wrote um, "It's a Great Day to Be Alive." I can't think of his name right now. Do you know who I'm talking about? Uh, oh, uh, uh, Daryl Scott. Daryl Scott. Yeah, I wonder if he's talking about Daryl Scott, or did he mention uh, Daryl at all? That wasn't that wasn't, that wasn't who it was. But yeah, we talked a little bit about Daryl. Daryl's written some good songs. Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah, Daryl's a, a a bad man. People might get get to wonder why I'm sitting down here on this dirt road in a minute. Might be a a property owner that passes by, thinking <laughs> I, thinking I'm trying to get some of them turkeys. You'll know if a, yeah, if a thirty out six comes out of the oh, you got to hear that. You got to hear this story, and I don't know if you heard it if Ben told you, but and I don't know Scott. I don't know Scotch that well. I love him, and I, every time I'm around him, he's just great to be around. Well, him and him and Ben, I guess, went went turkey hunting the other day, and I guess Scotch missed one. So they're right they're, they're that night. They're they're they get back when they're dropping off all their hunting gear. They're picking a little bit, and Kirsten Kelly's over there, and and uh, FaceTime. And I told I told Scotch next time he turkey hunts, he might want to get a thirty out six with a scope on it. <laughs> and he was he yeah. he, he, didn't, he didn't like my uh, my you missed a turkey because a turkey's kind of hard oh, to miss, even yeah. though we all miss them. Man, I'm excited. I'm I'm excited for the new album, man. I just I, I I can't wait for it to come out. I I I always I I had a conversation today, a really good, strong conversation with George Thompson, who's the VP of product development for Benelli. And a couple of years ago, when he told me that they were releasing a new Super Black Eagle because they had the one, and then it, they come out with the number two in 2005, and then when he told me they were coming out with number three, I said. Dude, you can't make a Ferrari any faster. You can't do. You can't make it any better. And he goes, "Oh, just wait." And that's how it is with your albums. You can't top "Shine on Rainy Day." And then Providence Canyon comes out, and I'm like, "Well, you're, there's no way you're topping this." And I think that that's the sign of it's just. You, I don't know how many songs on this new album are brand new. You could tell me that if you want, but a lot of them were probably written before. A lot of them could have made it on one of those other albums, right? This this album probably is the most has probably the most like brand new songs that I wrote leading up. I wrote for the album specifically. Really? Mm -hmm. And what was your goal with this album besides the lyric being out put out first? This is this is uh is this a an album that you are going to be able to incorporate into your live show? Does it, do you take these songs and, 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 and move it? Is it, is it going to take a little bit to try to figure out how to incorporate them into a live show? Have you already been thinking of that? I've thought about it, but I, I don't think, it, I don't think I can screw it up. I think that, uh, it's kind of like shine on rainy day. Once they're live, like the songs you can listen to them and they sound sort of like songwritery songs and they are, but live, they have a backbeat that that won't get lost. It, like it'll 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 sound it'll it'll do whether I'm in a ride around or in a full band show. I think that they'll speak. God, I can't wait, man. It's oh uh, man, I'm just glad to hear you say it because I know when we talked, you were a little skeptical about me going without Dave because you were going well. If you got the best producer that everybody considers to be the best producer 
like, why would you go against that and not use for the best songs, the best producer? And, uh, you know, I'm, it's, I, I understood what you were saying, but I also, I think these songs speak for themselves. And I think we did really good with, I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing. Like, I, I think that, you know, I'd be interested to know, that's why I asked you what you thought of Leith's album, because I always wonder what somebody like you would say about an album that Leith put out. And I, I would wonder what Travis Tritt would say about that song you just sang, The World Is Ending. Like, has he heard I it? Can tell you, hold on, I can tell you. Do you think I can? He sent, I sent him the album. Oh, you did? And he, I want, let me, tell me if I'm still here, if You're I go to my messages. It don't matter. You can, I, can, you, I don't need to see the video. Just go ahead and read it. I can still hear your voice. Travis Tritt said, dude, Fucking incredible. Uh, uh, Shut Up and Sing is brilliant. Congratulations. Wow. I mean, that right there, like, that's a career right there, man. Come on, man. Travis Tritt telling me my album is awesome. Yeah. And he ain't going to lie on you. That's amazing, dude. One day I'm going to come watch you play with him. I want to see y'all sing together, and I want to meet him. Just want to tell him thank you. Well, man, I'm going to ask you to do one more because last time we did King of Alabama and Digging Holes, and then we picked that night at the house. It was too cold outside. The Traeger dinner was exceptional. Oh, speaking of that, how you liking that Traeger, old boy, old buddy? Hey, old buddy, old pal. Man, first, thank you so much. Oh, yeah, it's, of course. Uh, it's taken me a minute to get used to it, honestly. I'm just now getting used to it I, because I, I'm just not used to it being that easy. My wife gives me shit all the time. My daughter will only eat a certain kind of canned chili. It's called wolf chili. And I can cook whole spreads of dinners, but I can't. But I'll scorch the shit out of her chili every time. And so I think my problem is I'm not used to cooking with something that damn easy to like if I put a rack of ribs on. Shit. And so I'm just not having to do shit. When I cook, <laughs> it's crazy so how easy. I'm finally, oh my god! It's yeah. As you know, a lot of buddies will be like, "Well, that's cheating, buddy." <laughs> you know, but <laughs> hey, uh, whatever, man. You, you turn in, you turn into Emerald in a heartbeat. But yeah, I, I love them, and they, uh, you know, everybody's cooking on Benny's cooking on them, Lee's cooking on them. Everybody that I that I know in Nashville, Bobby Johnson's got one now. I mean, they're just the, everything I cook, even when I think I'm screwing it up winds up being better than any other way I'd ever cooked it. Oh, I know. I'm telling you, man, if, if you just, and you can get so creative on, I mean, I fill every rack on mine with desserts and vegetables and potatoes or starches or, or, I mean, I, I did pan, I've done pancakes on them for the, for Alyssa. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. I've done, I mean, I do gravies and sauces on them and cast iron. I do all kinds of stuff on grilled cheese and cast iron with a little tiny bit of oil that I just rub down inside the cast iron pan. I love it because I'm outside and I get to have the fresh air, and I can use. I, I could pretty much shut down my kitchen year round if I wanted to, and use that Traeger. You, you really can yes, do whatever on it. Um, what what song were you thinking? I, I, I don't, man. I can do another one off the off the new album, man. Can you really? If you don't, I mean, unless you got one you want me to do. No, I love I love them all. I would have I was gonna say <laughs> fall on me or. Uh, or all, all no, we, man. Always shy. I love you that. Heard, I, I know you've heard this, but I'm going to do it. I've been doing it anyway a little bit. All right. 
So this is called uh, Little Stuff. And you asked me last, the last conversation we had, you know, how did I do a lot of hunting or, you know, did I just enjoy being in the woods or what? What was my deal? And yeah, I just, I enjoy, you know, going and wading creek banks and fishing and I like hunting. I don't hunt a whole lot, but I like it when I'm doing it. And uh, this song is about going on a little trip down to the creek, Slaughter Creek and uh, Arrowhead hunting. But, uh, and a lot more, but here you go. It's called Little Stuff. It'll be on the, the new album. Took a trip down to the river just to see what I could find. Found some peace and paradise beneath the pines. Call some brim and largemouth jumping, I saw heaven in the clouds. So I thought I ought to might just write this down. Yeah, I thought I ought to might just write this down. Keep your light lit and a tight grip on all the good folks that you love. Let the rain go, chase the rainbow. There's a lot of truth in all that little stuff. Ain't that enough? Threw my billfold in my boots, rolled my jeans up to my knee, let that cool fresh water wash all over me. Then I waited till the sunset, till the whippoorwills came out, and I thought I ought to might just write this down. Yeah, I thought I ought to might just write this down. Keep your light lit and a tight grip on all the good folks that you love. Let the rain go, chase the rainbow. There's a lot of truth in all that little stuff. Ain't that enough? what it feels like to get out there in nature like this you know man i don't know if anybody's told you this but that that chord progression and every part of the song except probably the hook has got so much james taylor in it and i don't know if you're a james taylor fan or inspired by james but i hear a lot of james taylor in that song maybe not the actual lyric because it's so country but i hear a lot of james taylor in that song 
I'll take it, man. I mean, I, I, uh, I grew up with, with some James Taylor, you know, I, uh, I just like the songwriter, acoustic songwriter stuff, man. God, that's strong, dude. Strong. I can't wait for people to hear the album, man. Brent Cobb, get off that private property. Don't be getting that neighbor, man, chasing you down the road. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of like why you wrote 30-06. You know, you don't want to uh, be, be getting in there. Man, this was this was fun, man. We got to keep doing these. I love that. Well, thank you for having me, man, and thanks for dealing with my, my low service level that we got out here. Hey, how much fun did we have in February in Nashville at the National Wild Turkey Federation party? Was that a big time that night? Oh, man. Could I? I mean, you told me you tried to tell me, and I couldn't believe how 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 well respectful everybody was, and 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 the turnout was incredible, and I had a blast. I had too good of a damn time. Your band was unreal. Now you'd mentioned that guitar player that night, um, same guy that Chris Stapleton had had had, had hired for a minute, right? Uh, yeah, Mike Harris. He he, my, my, he played on your album, this new one. And and Providence Canyon. The dude is on a different level of guitar playing, or is that is that is that a false statement? Oh, totally he is. Yeah, he he uh Mike Harris, man. He, he is, is a bad uh, son of a bitch, dude. When, when I met him, he was he was just a promoter. He was promoting this tour that I was on. And uh this was right before Shine on Rainy Day came out. It was me, it was the first tour I did coming out of my daughter had just been born and I had not been touring for two years and I met Mike Harris and, uh, and he said he, he picked a little bit here and there. I was like, cool, man. You know, like, like most promoters, like you'll have promoters that'll be like, yeah, man, I pick a little bit. You're like, ah, I bet you do. And, uh, nothing against you promoters out there. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but the, but the same way, had happened. And so then a couple of days go by and he's at this next show that he had promoted and we're sitting in the green room and I start playing, uh, freeborn man. I was born in the Southland 20 odd years ago, old bluegrass song. And Mike picks up this guitar and starts smoking it on guitar. And it floored me. And at the time I didn't have a band anymore because I had not been touring for two years. And, uh, so I was in the process of putting together a band. And, uh, so I called Dave and I called my manager, Don Van Cleve. I was like, man, what do y'all know about Mike Harris as a guitar player? And they're like, oh, he's a bad son of a bitch, man. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know. Uh, I asked him if he wants to tour again, cause he had been off. He had, he had been in several bands and he had sort of swore off tour and he wasn't going to do it anymore. And, uh, and they were like, holy shit, you got Mike Harris. And so me and Mike have been playing together now for four years. God, he's four, good. Yeah, four, four and a half years. He's on a different level. He's strong, boy. Yes, sir, he is. He's a wonderful human being, too. And he's a hell of a damn hunter, too. Well, buddy, I uh, I'll, I'll, I want to hunt with Mike. I want to hunt with you soon. I want to get together and share a cold beer when this quarantine's over. When we, One thing this deal's taught me more than anything is just to appreciate what we have in life, the little things like what you just sang about. And when it's gone, as simple as just going to a Little League practice or a dance recital or whatever, when it's gone, you, you really start thinking, man, we got it really good. Um, you know, growing up in this country and living the lives we get. I'm blessed to have you as a friend, buddy. Good on you for this album. I can't wait for the world to hear it. Can't wait to see you in person soon. And uh, 
Love you, buddy. Thanks for everything. Thank you, Chad. Thanks for having me. Thanks for all you do, man. Appreciate you, brother. This is another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. Everybody check out Brent Cobb. He is a bad mofo. I love all of his album. Again, that is Shine On Rainy Day, Providence Canyon, and a new one coming out this fall 2020. Check him out on Instagram website. Support his merch and look for him on all of these live remotes and, and, and some of the concerts he's doing jam for this band. Support him. Keep these musicians alive out there. This episode of the This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast was brought to you again by our friends at Jack Daniels. Enjoy it responsibly. Lynchburg, Tennessee, America. Jack Daniels, Tom, hit that button. This is our good friend, Brent Cobb. I'm not even going to name the song. I'm going to surprise you with the song. We're going out, Brent. The reason I'm saying that is that we usually go out with Leith Lofton. What you going to do when the money's all gone? But at the end of our last one, we went out with 30-06 because we were talking about it. Today, we're going to go out with... Ain't a, ain't a road too long. Ain't a road too long. Can I, can, I go, can I go out with that song, Brent? Ain't a road too long? Hell yeah. All right, yes, brother. Sir. I appreciate you, man. Be safe. Yeah.